DiscerningHearts.com presents The School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is a professor of spiritual theology and serves as a spiritual director at Kenrick Lennon Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Deacon Keating has led more than 400 workshops in areas of morality and spirituality and has authored numerous books, including The Way of Mystery, Listening for Truth, and Spiritual Fatherhood. The School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. The prophet Elijah, when he encountered the prophets of Baal, the Holy Father said this was a particular moment in prayer because the prophet Elijah, who God had sent to bring the people, was bringing them into conversion. Help us to understand exactly what authentic conversion is. Well, during our, 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 our lives, we are attracted to many, many things that carry apparent goods with them. So we are, our will is attracted to uh, certain goods that will give us meaning or pleasure, or these goods will be expedient to our ends in some way. And we get attached to these goods, be they persons or causes or ideas or experiences. And as we get attached to these goods, sometimes they take on a disproportionate place in our life, and we become much too preoccupied with them. We, they almost become singular in our life, and therefore they become defined as idols. And idolatry is simply the fastening of the heart upon a, uh, an absolute a good or a perceived absolute good that is erroneously uh, so labeled. We make mistakes. We get it wrong. Your profession is not an absolute good. Your illicit experience regarding drugs or sex or uh, other forms of pleasure, these are not absolute goods. Money is not an absolute good. And so our will fastens on these things. We derive some benefit from them. That's why we keep going back to them. However illicit, it's still a benefit. And we get trapped. We get caught. And it could be a philosophy. It could be a form of a political ideology. Or it could be these other experiences that I mentioned. And we see all of reality through this one lens that cannot contain all of reality. And so the Lord tries to call us back to himself, the only one who is worthy of our absolute commitment. And when we see people fasten their hearts and their minds, their will, onto political ideologies or philosophical ideologies or experiences of pleasure, we also see how their world collapses around them. Because these one, uh, one realities that they have chosen are not broad, deep, big enough to sustain their whole life. And so it's inevitable that uh, persons who attach themselves to these idols will in fact have a life that begins to collapse. And so the Lord in his mercy rushes to our side to try to motivate us to convert. And a lot of times the conversion happens when our false gods fail to please us. And we begin to look around and we begin to think and say, I wonder what else there might be. I wonder if I've made a mistake. 
And through the, uh, the disappointment that we know in our attachment to false gods, through the disappointment itself, the mercy of God enters. And then this is most crucial in terms of moving us or converting us from idolatry, that we have to pay attention to how the false gods have disappointed us. And in the disappointment is the doorway for God to enter with the cross of Christ, with the real God and the real activity of God, which is to love us even if we kill him, and to allow that real God to emerge out of and from within our disappointment when our false gods have not come up to the mark. And a lot of people would then possibly too quickly pass over the disappointment and say, well, you know, I guess I better try something new. And so I'll move from this political ideology or philosophy to another one. Or I'll I'll move from this pleasurable experience to another pleasurable experience. And if we move too quickly, we miss the invitation of God because it's in the disappointment that he wants to communicate with us the truth so that we no longer have to move from false God to false God. So what he's offering is rest. But we have to let the disappointment be the wound that opens us to receive the real God. And unfortunately for many Americans, we just move from God to God to God. And when the false God disappoints, we move to something new. So I would invite you to just sit with the disappointment and to let what you have attached your will to wrongly be redefined by the emerging of Christ from within the disappointment itself as he carries the truth to your heart about real love and the real God. And so when Benedict talks about conversion in this story between the two altars, the false God and the real God, he's motivating us to pay attention to what we have chosen to love in our life and whether or not what we have chosen is worthy of our dignity. I know for me, becoming attached to uh, issues and say whether it's politics or you are driven to a certain behavior, but there's something, a passion that we get hooked into. Even when that begins to diminish, we run to the next passion. We we run to the next thing that's going to create this, uh, is it a false zeal? Correct, and it's good that you use the word passion because we can juxtaposition that now with the true passion of Jesus. And it is, it, it's an unfettered passion. It's not attached to anything of depth or substance. It's a tangential, superficial moving from one excitement or one pleasure uh, to another. And that's why uh, when the false gods disappoint, we have to have the real passion tutor us. And the real passion is the passion that we see in Christ as he moves through his life to the cross. And that passion is his union with the Father, with God the Father. And this union with God the Father awakens in Jesus a compassion or empathy for the other in the other's poverty. And Jesus sees very clearly into the human heart, right down to the core of our poverty. And that's what his ministry reaches. His ministry reaches the core of our poverty. He doesn't just give us food or clothing. 
He reaches down to the human condition. And he can do that, obviously, because he's the Son of God. But he shares that spirit with us, and he tutors us in this way, that in his spirit, we too can listen to God the Father. We can commune with God the Father. And God the Father will direct our ways so that we can hear the poverty of the human. And for us to hear the poverty of the human condition is the correct release of our passion. Whereas in idolatry, our passions are released in a self-serving way. We will get something from this. Something will be expedited. Something will be facilitated for me. But conversion is about having the Spirit of God which we all received in our baptism, direct us to listen to the poverty of another so that that Spirit of God through us can serve and minister to that poverty. And of course, many times this will take the form of giving people clothing or giving people food. But unless we are sure that we are seeing the poverty of the human condition, in other words, that we are serving people because we know they need to be saved, by Jesus, then all of our actions in charity can simply be reduced to a philosophy or to a political ideology or even a political party platform. What saves the Christian from just being an ideologue is that they are in deep communion with the Spirit of Christ, who is in deep communion with the Father, who has awakened the heart of Christ now residing in us to respond to the poverty of the human condition. And in this way, we certainly will serve others, but we will never be mistaken for ideologues or political opportunists, because our abiding with the poor is universal, and it's ontological, it's substantive. We know that we're a mess, not just that we need food or we need housing, And so our presence, namely the church's presence to the poor, is born in prayer. The prayer that Christ shares with us in baptism. The prayer of him listening to the Father reveal the deepest human pain to the Son. And to have the Son respond, first in his own life, and now in our lives as he dwells within us. Idolatry is broken and crashed upon the rocks of prayer. And we must listen interiorly to the living God so that we are saved from simply being relevant, so that the church will be universal, eternal, always, not just this season, next season, this trend, next trend. The church will always be substantive because its entire work flows out of prayer. And it will never be unconverted because it's always listening to the Father's conversation with Jesus. What's so interesting about this scene with Elijah is that there is a crowd, that it's a contest. What happens to us as individuals when we get into crowds? And we would even demand a competition. There's a a great suffering, a great discipline in listening to this interior conversation between the Father and the Son 
and the love between them that now resides us in the Holy Spirit, there is great discipline in listening. Crowds don't listen. Crowds react. And so the church always uh, pulls back from the crowd. The crowd usually is, you know, heads set on violence, movement, immediate gratification. Whereas the follower of Jesus is directed toward healing, reconciliation. Our culture in the West is, is filled with competition because of its capitalistic uh, formation. And we can't help but be uh, competitors in a capitalistic culture. So we want winners and losers all the time. We want to know who won and who lost. We want it black and white. We want life to be given to us in a way that it's clearly delineated as to who is the enemy and who is the one wearing the white hat. Winners and losers. And of course, we project this all onto our sports uh, culture which we're all taken up into like capitalism, sports and capitalism. And you combine that with an unthinking culture, a culture that doesn't have the patience to suffer distinctions and delineations. And you have a recipe for superficiality, overreaction, and perhaps even a culture careening always toward violence. And the violence, of course, is to shut the other person up because we can't communicate, because we don't know how to communicate, because we do not have the discipline within us to make distinctions. And to make distinctions is crucial to living in a civilized culture. But we just want simply to know who the winner is and who the loser is for this news cycle. Who was the good guy and who was the bad guy? And so we have this competition around the altars, this screaming crowd that Baal is the best, or the God of the prophet is the best, almost like a football game. Mm -hmm. And the Lord wants to enter, and he wants to definitively proclaim that his lordship and his lordship alone determines reality, not who we root for, not who gets the most and best press, not who's in the headlines named the winner, but God defines reality. And our conversion continues when we allow God to define reality for us. And God's definition of reality is accessible to us through Jesus Christ and through our intellects and through the movement of our hearts toward love. How do we know what God's reality is? Through the revelation of Jesus, through our intellects, and through our heart's movement toward love. And if we follow those three, then our deliberations and our actions will not be superficial. They will not just be taken up in the madness of the crowd, but they will stand apart and they will actually be instructive to a culture that is lost in the question, what's next? What's new? Rather than the reality of who speaks truth? And in our own Catholic Church, we have it. But because of evil, we are split. And we are split along political, ideological symbols and imaginations. A liberal and a conservative language 
liberal and conservative symbols, liberal and conservative images are foreign to the gospel. They have no place in the gospel. The church is meta-political. It's beyond politics. It's not democratic or republican. This is why it can be, in the teaching office of the bishops, it can be a purifying agent if we would only listen to their essential teaching. We would become unified again. And then we could actually make an effect upon culture. The reason the Catholic Church is so anemic today in culture is because we are not united around the essentials of worship and morals. We are divided. Why aren't they following the apostles who unify, who call us to the true and essential meaning? Now, this is the deeper conversion that's needed in our time. There are reprehensible organizations like Planned Parenthood who are more unified in their mission than we are, which is why they have such immediate and powerful effects when their mission is in danger, the killing of babies. They respond as one. We don't. We divide ourselves and we say that, well, I'm Catholic, but I'm with the Democratic Party or the Liberal Party. Or I'm Catholic, but I'm with the Republican Party or the conservative wing of the Republican Party. There may be a reason why. We'll return in just a moment to the School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I that in the opinion of the world others may increase 
and I may decrease. That others may be chosen, and I set aside. That others may be praised, and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. We now return to the School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating. There is a reluctance on the parts of some not to follow the bishops Mm -hmm. because of the hurts and the pains that have been suffered for the last decade or more because of the scandals that have affected our church. Yes, and this is a perfect storm, really, that we're in regarding the bishop's authority because of their lack of oversight in some, some of the cases with the priest scandal. However, we have to remember that in their governing power, there are prudential decisions that bishops make that certainly are in part of the guarantee from the Holy Spirit, helping Catholics trust the bishops when they teach in the name of Jesus. Their governing authority, quite often, is their prudential judgments. What we're talking about here when we talk about the apostles and that we are to trust the apostles and from them we are to listen and glean or pick up our essential and unifying teachings. We are talking about all of the doctrine for sake of simplicity, we'll say, resides in the catechism of the Catholic Church. This is the teaching that's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit to be true and to be universal. And so when uh, individual bishops made personnel decisions or prudent or imprudent decisions around uh, questions of secrecy, questions of uh, personnel uh, placement, uh, none of that is guaranteed uh, to be a part of the teaching magisterium of the church in its ordinary exercise. That is outside the realm of what we're talking about here. So what we cling to when we cling to the apostles the ordinary magisterium of the Catholic Church. Let's just say what we cling to is what's in the scriptures and what's in the catechism. Now, politically, people will continue to raise the mistakes of the bishops prudentially, and they will try to undermine the authority of the bishops as teachers. And this has already happened. But again, we have to make the crucial distinction. This is probably being made, these accusations against bishops no longer having teaching authority, It's either being made for political reasons or it's being made because there's deep sorrow and pain within a person who has not yet been fully healed. And so to assuage their pain, uh, obviously they need someone to blame. And the prudential decisions of the bishops, in many cases, is the right place to lay blame. But that should not diminish our respect for what Christ is working in the bishops the preservation of our true and universal teachings. What's remarkable in reflecting on this particular moment when Elijah builds the altar that is opposite of that of Baal, the fire rains down from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice, but also all the water that was poured onto it, this, this great fire. And 
as you were speaking about the bishops, I'm recalling the the great fire of Pentecost that came raining down and really gave birth to this church that was to be a sign in the way for truth. The Holy Spirit is the the actor that preserves us in our bond with God. And this bond is both in love and in truth. And the guardians of the bond particularly in their exercise as chief liturgist or the one in charge of worship in the diocese is the bishop. So he leads us in right worship, but he also leads us in right doctrine, right teaching, by the power of this flame, this fire, this Holy Spirit. And so when we listen to the bishop's teachings, we are ordered correctly in our conversions And we are given a guarantee that those ideologies and political propaganda that may be attractive to us because they carry immediate gratification or some type of um, facilitation of our own needs, real or perceived, if we cling to the bishop and the teachings that come from his office, then there will be a rest in us, a safety in us. And we won't be buffeted about by the winds and the trends of thinking, no matter what political party may be in power. Who's the winner this year? Who's the loser? Who's got power? Who's fighting for power? This becomes wearying to the human person. And so by clinging to the truth of the teaching of the bishops, the teaching of the church, we find a place of great rest. And that rest is given to us because the apostles were open and vulnerable to receive the fire of the Spirit. And one of the meditations we can make about the reception of the fire of the Spirit is that one of its works is to purify the human mind so that it sees clearly what is true and what is simply of this passing age. The Holy Father, Pope Benedict, would go on to say that the Lord responded unequivocally, not only burning the offering, but even consuming all the water that had been poured around the altar. Israel could no longer doubt. Divine mercy had responded to its weakness, to its doubts, to its lack of faith. Now Baal, the vain idol, was beaten, and the people who seemed lost had rediscovered the way of truth. They had rediscovered themselves. And the way to truth is by opening our hearts to that divine mercy. Yes, I've been off the road for for many years. I went down the wrong path. I attached what is most dignified in me, my mind, my will, my heart, to false gods. But the divine mercy that is poured out in the Spirit is the way to not only recover or maybe for the first time, see the truth. But in living that truth, you simultaneously receive yourself back as well. Because one of the other negative effects of idolatry is that you lose a clear understanding of your own dignity, of who you are. But once we allow the mercy of God to penetrate our mind, our heart, and call us back to true worship, in the church, and in its teachings. We not only receive God and all of the rest and the light that God gives, but 
we simultaneously receive ourselves, And that's a wonderful gift because uh, idolatry is all about anxiety and fear and restlessness and movement and a kind of inability of a person to truly understand what is substantial about their own person, their own identity. And what worship of the true God gives is immediate rest around your identity. That is who I am. I am a son or a daughter. I am the beloved one of the Father of mercy. That is who I am. And all these other false understandings of who I am will be burned up in the fire of his mercy. Pope Benedict will go on to conclude that the church fathers tell us that this story is a foretaste of the future, which is Christ. It is a step on the journey towards Christ. And Christ, of course, is the true Son of the Father, the only one deserving of our worship. And the only true altar is his altar, the rocks of Calvary that held the cross in place. It is a premonition of the one altar that will be standing, the one sacrifice that's acceptable, the sacrifice of the God-man himself. No other sacrifice, no other religion, no other God, so to speak, is acceptable to the Father, except the Son, who came from the Father, was obedient to the Father, and now leads the way by his divine and human identity. He leads the way back to the Father for all of us who are restless, who are lost, who perhaps have chosen poorly about what to worship and what the meaning of life is. Jesus is leading us all back through his one acceptable sacrifice. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Thank you, Deacon Keating. Thank you. You've been listening to The School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it on the free Discerning Hearts app or on your favorite podcast streaming platform. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating.